All right, if you would now, let's open our Bibles to the Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23. And Sarah was an hundred and seven and twenty years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a burying place amongst you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of his city, saying, Nay, my lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein. I give it thee, in the presence of the sons of my people, give I it thee. Bury thy dead. And Abraham bowed himself before the people of the land, and he spake unto Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me. I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron, and Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, four hundred shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. And the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in the borders round about, were made sure unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre. The same is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. Thank God for his word. Let's bow together before our Lord. Our Father, we come before you this evening. We come before you empty. We come before you helpless to do anything for ourselves. We come before you, Father, seeking a blessing from your storehouses of grace. How we beg of you that you would meet with us in the person of thy spirit. And that you would enable us to hear a word from thee. That you would enable us to hear with the ear of faith and a heart of faith that would lay hold upon the Lord Jesus Christ as he's preached unto us. 
Father, I beg of you that you not leave us alone. Don't leave me alone, I beg of you. As I stand to attempt to preach your gospel, the gospel of your dear son to your people. And Father, be with those that hear, that that they might be able to hear and to believe. Father, how we thank you for the countless blessings that you have so freely bestowed upon this congregation. You've you blessed us so mightily. You've blessed us with your word all these, these many, many years. Father, we are so thankful, but we beg of you that you not leave us alone. Not, not tonight, not in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. Don't leave us alone. But Father, keep blessing your word. Keep meeting with your people. Keep calling out your sheep by the preaching of your word. Keep blessing your word as it's preached in, in this city, in this place, in this dark, dark day. Father, cause the light of your, the gospel of your son to shine forth brightly, to, to get glory to your name and be a blessing to your people. Father, we thank you for the blessings of this life that you've given to us as well. You've blessed us beyond measure. We're thankful. Knowing everything we have is what you've given to us. We thank you for our children, our homes, our families. We, Father, I pray that you bless each home, that you bless each one here with, with your mercy, your grace, your leadership, your presence. And Father, we dare not forget to pray for those that you brought in the time of trouble and trial. There are many, those that we know of, those that we don't. And Father, we're thankful there's no hard cases with thee, that you're able You're able to heal. You're able to deliver. You're able to comfort. Father, that's what we pray for your people that are in in the deep waters, the darkness of the valley. Till you see fit to deliver them, Father, comfort their hearts with your presence, we pray. All these things we ask in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, if you still have your Bibles open there, Genesis chapter 23. I titled the message this evening, The First Funeral. In our text this evening, we have an account of the first funeral that's recorded in the Scriptures. And after reading this chapter, I saw four truths about the death of a believer that I want us to look at. I certainly see death for all the sons of Adam in this chapter. I also see comfort for the loved ones of a believer who has died and gone to be with the Lord. And also I see comfort for a believer who's facing death. Now our comfort in death, the comfort that I want to give you tonight concerning, concerning death, applies only to the death of a believer. This good news is not for everyone. There's no comfort in death for, for a believer. This comfort is just for those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't give anyone comfort concerning the death of an unbeliever because the scriptures don't. The death of an unbeliever is so sad. It's it's just too sad to spend a lot of time thinking about because there's no hope. There's no hope left for them. There was while they were, were living, but not once that they're dead. And when we have a loved one who dies that does not know the Lord, the only thing I know of that we can do is look to the Lord to provide grace and and comfort that's sufficient for the pain and loss that we feel for this loved one that that did not know the Lord. 
But all that being said, the, the rest of what I want to say concerns God's people. There's much comfort here regarding the death and the funeral of a believer. Now, the first thing I see here is the certainty of death. It's something I hope that we get settled in our hearts, in our mind, the certainty of death. Verse 1, And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. Now Sarah is given to us in Scripture as a renowned woman of faith. Sarah was a sinful person, just like all of us are, but she was a woman of faith, wasn't she? And all of us can identify with, with Sarah in this way. Sarah had faith that wavered. She sure did. Remember when the Lord promised Abraham, you'll have a son. Sarah's going to give you a son, your old age. Sarah was listening behind the tent. And Sarah laughed in unbelief. <laughs> but Sarah also had genuine faith in Christ, didn't she? she? Her faith wavered. But in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it says of Sarah that she judged him faithful who promised. She believed God. She judged him faithful. God's going to keep his word. Now, Sarah was a woman of faith. She lived in a, in a sinful body of flesh. Uh, Sarah was a spitfire. I mean, she was a, you know, you remember the, when, when uh, she told Abraham, well, God's promise is a son, but, you know, it, it can't be by me. I'm too old. It, 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 Abraham must mean that the Lord must mean you go marry my, my slave, Hagar, and have a, have a son by her. So Abraham did. And then Hagar had the son. Sarah was mad. And she said, Abraham, my fault be on you. <laughs> I know I told you to do it, but you shouldn't have done it. You should have known better. I mean, this woman's a spitfire. I kind of like her. I like Sarah. She was a woman of faith that lived in a sinful body. And I tell you why her, why her faith wavered and why she died. She's a sinful woman. Death demands sin. Our flesh must die because of the sin that's in us. And sin, after 127 years, killed Sarah's body. What's true of Sarah is true of you and me too. Sarah didn't die one second sooner. I mean not one second sooner. The Almighty God determined for her to live before the foundation of the world. Sarah did everything that the Lord intended for her to do. And only then did she die. And not one second sooner. And the same thing applies to you and me. Sarah died because sin demands death. Even for people who have faith in Christ. Now look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Someone might be wondering, Frank, I thought you said you were going to give us some comfort concerning death here. There's no avoiding this thing of death. Our flesh must die because of sin. But here's the comfort. You know that's a blessing to a believer. It's a blessing to a believer when this body dies. The flesh has to die. So that we can put on a new body. A sinless, perfect body. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. For this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. We cannot go to glory in these bodies like we are. 
Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The grave doesn't have any victory, does it? It has no victory over the, the death of a believer. Our bodies must die for this reason. So we can trade this clay shell for a holy, sinless body, just like the body of our Lord. So for a believer, it's a trade-up, isn't it? It's a trade-up. The death of this body is a trade-up. There's no death, or there's no victory for the grave. Yeah, there's an empty shell laying in the grave, but the grave doesn't have a victory. (laughs) The only thing we've lost is we've lost that sinful shell. And we've traded it to go be with the Lord. We've got to die. This body's got to die before that will happen. All right, number two. Look back at our text. I see here sorrow when a loved one dies. Verse, verse 2 of Genesis 23. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now let me take some pressure off of those who suffer very real sorrow when a loved one dies. I want to tell you it's okay. It's okay to mourn, it's okay to cry, and it's okay to be brokenhearted. I talked to a dear friend of mine, not so awful long ago, whose spouse had died. Some of us would think, well, they died a pretty long time ago, you ought to be over it. She's not. And I saw her and we began to talk and and, uh, talk about her her husband. And she said, let's not talk about him right now, I'll just cry. And I said, that's okay. Just cry. Just, we'll cry together. And she said, people tell me I ought to be over this by now. Some of you may not know this, but Frank Tate has a temper. And I wanted to find out who it was that said that and go wring their neck. I mean, I really did. I mean, that's probably not right, but that's the way I felt. It's okay to mourn. In the for what it's worth category, Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, not only is it lawful, it's our duty to mourn the death of our near relatives. That is what Abraham, the father of the faithful, did. Now, did that mean Abraham didn't believe God? He didn't trust God? He went to weep and mourn for Sarah? Absolutely not. And if you weep and you mourn when a loved one dies, now you listen to me. You listen to me. You don't have weak faith. Just because you weep and cry does not mean that you have weak faith. Any more than Abraham, the father of the faithful, did. We mourn at the death of a believer. One who was our loved one. But now listen. We do mourn, but we don't sorrow as others that have no hope. We mourn, but we also have comfort. Our loved one, who, who believed Christ, who trusted the Lord... 
They're not with us now, but they're with the Lord. I mean, you think of that. They're with the Lord. And that's our comfort. Now, we mourn over our loss, and at the very same time, while we're, while we're weeping through our tears, we rejoice, don't we? Our loved one is with, is with the Lord. See, our mourning, it's not out of control. It's, a, it's tempered by our comfort that our loved one is with the Lord. That comfort is real. I mean, that's a comfort only someone that trusts Christ can understand. But that comfort, knowing that our loved one is with the Lord, is real. But let's not forget this. When we have friends who've lost a loved one, their pain's real too. Their pain is real too. We miss our loved one. They're gone, we miss them. We miss conversations with them. We, we miss dinners with them. We miss holidays with them. We miss normal days with them. Jan and I sat down to eat tonight. It's just a normal day. Just two of us. The house is quiet. Just two of us. And I thought, I like this. I like this. And we'll miss those things someday. We miss the touch of our loved one. We miss the look of their love. We, We miss those things. We have real pain and genuine comfort at the same time. So let me take all the pressure off of you. It's okay to mourn. Abraham did. Abraham did. You know, our Lord made our bodies able to cry. You think of that. The Lord made our bodies able to cry. It's a relief valve, isn't it? It's a relief valve for our sadness. And I'm told keeping that in and trying to be all stoic about it and not let it out can be bad for you. But I don't know about that, but it sounds reasonable to me. But... The whole point of this is this. It's okay to weep and to mourn. That's what Abraham did when Sarah died. Now, the third thing I see here is the burial of a believer. Skip over to the end of the chapter, verse 19. We'll look at these middle verses in just a second. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, The same is in Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. Now Abraham bought this cave to use as a grave for Sarah, a tomb for Sarah. And in the years that followed, Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, and Joseph are all going to be buried in this cave. Maybe there were others, but Scripture tells us of those. And I find this very, very, very interesting. And I always have found it very interesting. And now I think I got some light on why it happened. This burial tomb is the only property in the land of Canaan Abraham ever owned. God came to Abraham in his father's house. Abraham never heard of the Lord. He was an idolater. And God said, Abram... Get out of your father's house and go to the land I'll show you. The next day, Abraham, his little ragtag bunch, got off and started walking, didn't he? And I'm sure he thought, I'm going to a place God's going to give me. God's going to give me this land. And God did promise Abraham, your descendants are all going to have this land. They're going to own all of it. But the only bit of it Abraham ever owned was this cave. This field and this cave that he bought as a cemetery. Eventually, Israel, God's people, are going to own the whole of the land of Canaan. 
But the first thing he gave any of them was this cemetery, a place where God's people would be buried. See, the Lord provided a place for the bodies of his people where they could rest in peace as they waited for the resurrection. It's the first thing the Lord provided for them, a place their bodies could rest, waiting for the resurrection. And and Abraham laid Sarah's body to rest in that promised land, that land of rest that God promised to give to his seed. Sarah was the first one to rest there. Her body was. All right, here's the fourth thing. And this is the main point of the whole chapter. Here is the gospel of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. The body of a believer rests in the grave in hope. Verse 3. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee a sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. I want you to notice here the respect Abraham uses as he deals here with the the sons of Heth. He's bowing to them several times. He bows to them. He he speaks with so much respect for them. He wouldn't take advantage of them for anything. He's very careful to show respect to them and deal with them honestly. But also notice the respect that the sons of Heth, how they dealt with Abraham with great respect. They called him a, a mighty prince among us. That tells me Abraham conducted himself. Well, he is a sojourner in this place with the sons of Heth. He conducted himself in such a way he earned the respect of people in that community. And you know, that ought to be said of every believer. When it comes time for a funeral, for a visitation for us, that ought to be said of every believer. He lived his life in such a way that earned the respect of people, believer and unbeliever alike, just like Abraham did. And Abraham came and told them, I want to buy a grave for my wife, Sarah. And these men said, Abraham, take any sepulcher you want. We've all prepared sepulchers. You know, at that time, they didn't just dig a hole in the ground like we do. They carved out a cave or they prepared a place in a cave. And this was going to be the sepulcher for them, for their family. And those men said, no, all of us have prepared a sepulcher for ourselves. You just pick anyone you want. Any of us will give you our sepulcher for free. Abraham, in verse 7, stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it's worth, he should give it me for possession of a burying place among you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in the gate of the city, saying, Nay, my lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein, I give it thee. In the presence of the sons of my people, give I it thee. Bury thy dead. Now they went, these people apparently went and told Ephron what had gone on here, what Abraham had want, wanted. And Abraham had a place all picked out. You know, where he wanted to, uh, to bury Sarah. People do that. Um, 
I don't know. It's, it, it's a, some Janet's parents gave us a, they had bought a plot, you know, and they said, well, we're going to be buried in North Carolina. Y'all are going to have them. We went out to look at where we're going to be buried. It's the weirdest thing, isn't it? I mean, it's just weird. It's just, but Abraham had a spot picked out. He thought this would be good. I can come sit here, you know, and Sarah be buried in the area. He had a place all picked out. Belonged to this man, Ephraim. And Ephraim heard what was going on. He came to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm not going to take money from you. You just have it for free. It's yours. You can have the cave and the field. It's free. And it was such a, a sign of, of respect and kindness for, on Ephraim's part, wasn't it? He just not going to make money of somebody's grief. This man he respected, Abraham. And I'll tell you, I respect, I this is all I know about Ephraim. But I respect him a great deal for it. He did not try to take, take advantage of Abraham's grief. He said, I'm going to give it to you for free. And Abraham wouldn't hear of it. Verse 12. And Abraham bowed himself before the people of the land. And he spake unto Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee hear me. I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What's that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron, and Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, four hundred shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. In the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in all the borders round about, were made sure unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in at the gate of his city. Now Abraham insisted, I'm going to buy this land at the full price for what it's worth. And Ephraim said, you know, Abraham, I don't want your money. It's worth 400 shekels of silver, and that's a lot of money. I don't know how much money that is, but I read it's a lot of money. But Ephron said, what's that between me and you? I, just take it. I don't want your money. And Abraham, he's he just insistent here. He's being respectful, but he's being, being resistant, insistent. I'm going to pay for this thing. And he weighed out 400 shekels of silver, and he did it where everybody could see him doing it. So everybody would know he paid the full price for that field. And the field was his. It was made sure it was his possession that he buried Sarah there. Now fast forward many, many years later. When the children of Israel came into the promised land. And they finally took possession of all the land. And there was a, a town there. They renamed it Hebron. The town there where um, the, this field was in a place. They renamed Hebron. where That's where Sarah was buried. You know what they did with that town? Hebron, they made it one of the cities of refuge. The place of safety from the avenger of blood. You know, if, you, if a, two men were out working in the field, they were chopping wood and the axe head flew off one of them's handle, hit the other fellow in the head, head and killed him. That man's brother, family, whoever it was, they could kill that man. There was, he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, just the, the head of his axe came off, you know, but they could kill him. And the law would say nothing about it. That man had one choice. He had to run to the city of refuge. And if he was in, in the city of refuge, the avenger of blood could not touch him. That man hiding in that city of refuge is a picture, a 
of the believer hiding safely in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we hide in Christ, we're safe. Safe from God's wrath against our sin. God's justice cannot touch us because it's all been poured out upon Christ our substitute. That's the city where the first funeral took place that's recorded in Scripture in the city of refuge. Sarah was resting, her body was resting in a place of safety and peace, wasn't it? All right, that's the story. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel picture we have of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Before time began, the Father elected a people that He would save from their sin. And He gave those people to His Son. But those people, they could not be saved for free. They were sinners. They had a price on their head. And even the Father could not say, I'll ignore the price of their sin. I'll ignore that they're rebellion against me, and I'll just declare them to be righteous and free. The Father chose those people. He's going to give them to His Son. But even the Father could not say, Son, I give you these souls for free. He couldn't say it. The Father could not say to His Son, Son, I love you so much, you're daily my delight. I love you so much, I respect you so much, I'm going to give you these people for free. You see, the people that the Father chose to save, they're sinners. I mean, willing, vile sinners. They willingly broken God's law, and they're being held. They're being held in the prison house of sin. They've got a sin nature that has rebelled against God. And they're being held by sin. They cannot get themselves free from it. The justice of God has a claim on them. They've broken God's law and God's justice has a claim on them. And God's justice will not let them go. Unless the price is paid. So even God, the Father, could not say, I'm going to take my people and set them free from the prison house of sin. And set them free from my justice for nothing. The Holy Father could not say that. Justice must be satisfied. The price for their sin must be paid. So the Lord Jesus Christ told his Father, I'll pay the price. You tell me what the full price is, and I'll pay the price for the sin of my people. You think of the respect. We saw the respect that the sons of Heth and Abraham had with each other. You think of the respect. God the Son showed to His Father. He fully submitted Himself to everything the Father gave Him to do. In order to redeem His people from their sin, the Father said, Son, you're going to have to be humiliated. You're going to have to suffer the humiliation of becoming flesh. You're going to have to live in the weakness of human flesh and submit yourself to that. You're going to have to suffer the humiliation of being born as a baby. Being born as a man, as one of the creatures, one of our creatures, born under the law, and you're going to have to obey it. You're the lawgiver, but you're the one that's going to have to obey the law. You're going to have to suffer man's hatred. Men, you've come to save your people from their sin. You've come the fulfillment of every Old Testament type and picture and promise of the Messiah, and you're going to have to suffer man's hatred. They're going to hate you without a cause. They're going to slander you, and they will not believe him and the son said I'll go and he came and did that 
He suffered all that humiliation in the midst of all the... I mean, can you imagine what it was like for the Holy Son of God to live in the cesspool of this world? Constantly surrounded by sin. Constantly surrounded by unbelief and hatred. In the midst of that, he obeyed God's law perfectly. He had a heart that loved his Father perfectly. And when the appointed time came for the price to be paid, Christ came to redeem his people by his own blood. In the sight of all of creation, the Son weighed out the full price for sin where everybody could see it. He was hung on Calvary's tree between heaven and earth for everyone to see. And anybody with any sins can look at that transaction going on at Calvary and they can see the full price has been paid. The full price for the sin of God's people has been paid by the blood of Christ, by His death as a substitute for His people. The Lord Jesus Christ agreed, the Holy Son of God agreed to suffer the humiliation of being made sin for His people. The Father made the sin of His people to belong to His Son, and the Son suffered everything justice demanded for that sin. He suffered until justice was satisfied. And when the price was paid, when justice was satisfied, when the Father said it's enough, the Son gave up the ghost. The Father gave His elect to His Son, and He purchased them. He purchased them with His blood. They are the purchased possession of the Son. He bought them lot, stock, and barrel. Several times in our text, uh, one, verse, verse 17, it says, everything that was in the field, all the borders round about, were made sure unto Abraham. Verse 20 says, the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham. The redemption of God's elect was made sure. It was made sure unto Christ by His own blood. By His own blood. Let me give you a few ways here. In our text from Genesis chapter 23, we, uh, there's a few pictures. How redemption in Christ is made sure to God's people. Abraham paid that full price, didn't he? He paid the full price for the cave and the field and everything that was in it. And he did it in front of all those witnesses. So nobody could ever say, you know, Abraham got a sweet deal on that. He didn't really pay what that was. No, they could, everybody had to say that cave and that field, that belongs rightfully to Abraham. When Lord Jesus Christ redeemed his people, he paid the full price for all of creation to see. And everyone can see his people belong to him. His people belong to him. And when it comes time for their bodies to die, you reckon he's forgot them? Do you reckon he let something bad happen to them? He couldn't stop? No, they belong to him. And all that happened when their bodies died, it's the Lord bringing his purchased possession to be with him. That's all that happened. See, the cave that Abraham bought was the cave, the name of the cave is Machpelah. And the name means Machpelah, it means double. Now, it's not an accident Abraham picked out that cave. Of all the caves, of all the sepulchers that the sons of Heth had prepared, Abraham picked out this one. The cave named Machpelah, which means double. That tells me, it's a picture. The redemption price is paid. Redemption is sure. 
is so sure, Isaiah said in Isaiah 40 verse 12, she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Double. Now the Lord didn't pay more than than the price of God's justice demanded. But the blood of Christ did make the salvation of God's people double sure. Double. The blood of Christ gives God's people the double cure. The blood is used to pay the redemption price. The price is paid. There's no more sin then. And being washed in that blood makes God's people clean and holy. It gives them a brand new nature that cannot sin. Being washed in the blood gives us a nature. Now the debt's paid and we're washed in the blood to make sure there's no more sin. <laughs> there's no more. Redemption in Christ is double sure. Isn't it? The debt's paid and it gives his people a new nature. Well, the second picture I see here, salvation in Christ is made sure. When Abraham said, I want to bury my dead, and I find it interesting, he says it twice, I want to bury my dead out of my sight. That's just interesting to me. I would just say, I'm going to bury my dead. Abraham said, I'm burying him out of sight. And he said that as a picture of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ made the redemption of his people sure because he took their sin away from them. And he buried it out of sight. He buried it out of his father's sight. The blood of Christ, he didn't just hide the sin. You know, it's still there. It's just hidden. The blood of Christ made the sin of God's elect to not exist anymore. Redemption in Christ is made sure. You know why? There's no sin left to condemn them. It's been buried out of God's sight. And the proof of that is the resurrection of Christ. Our Savior was made sin for His people. He suffered and He died. And He was buried. He was buried. And after three days, the Father raised Him from the dead. You know why the Father raised Him from the dead? Because all that sin that had been charged to the Son, all that sin that had been charged to the Lord Jesus Christ that made the Father so angry, that made Him pour out His wrath upon His Son, all that sin's gone. So he raised him from the dead. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. As proof, his, his sacrifice justified the sin of his people. And unless you're alive and reign when Christ returns, every one of us is going to follow our Lord that very same way. Just like Sarah, it won't be 127 years, but at God's appointed time, our bodies are going to die. We'll come together. Those of us that remember you, we'll, we'll come together to weep and mourn and bury you out of sight. And then we're going to wait. And one day, just like our Savior, the Lord's going to bring you out of that grave. See, and until then, the bodies of believers, you know what they're doing? They're just waiting. They're resting in the grave until the Lord returns. Just like Sarah, her body is still there resting in that cave, in the, in the promised land. And when the Lord returns, He's going to raise the bodies of His people. They're going to be raised from the grave in incorruptible bodies. Not, not like these. I mean, we'll look like ourselves. We'll know each other. But it's, we're going to be in a body just like the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that's so. There, there's, not a, there's not a question. There's not a doubt about it. Because Scripture says Christ is the first fruits of those that arose. 
If he's the first fruits, that means there's many more fruits going to follow. All of his people are going to follow him out of the grave. In the resurrection, just like the resurrection of our Savior. So when we gather together at a cemetery, we bury the bodies of those believers that knew Christ. You know, just like Sarah, we need to remember this. They're resting in the grave and hope. We're not putting them in the ground, and the graves won the victory here. No, they're, all their bodies are doing are resting in hope until the resurrection when Christ returns. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. That's a, there's no sorrow. I mean, there's sorrow in that we miss them, but, but there's no loss here. The grave not won a victory. Their body's just resting. Now listen, their bodies are resting, but their souls aren't. Their souls don't sleep. Don't, don't ever let anybody make you buy into this thing of soul sleep. When a believer dies, the body rests. The soul goes to be with the Lord that gave him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what body are they in? I don't know. I just know they're with the Lord. That's what scripture says. But I do know this. When the Lord returns, he's going to take those perfect souls that are with him. He's going to join them to a perfect body that he raises from the grave. The body's going to fit the soul. They're both going to be perfect. And that's how we're going to spend eternity with the Lord. I'm telling you, that's how this thing's going to end. That's how it's going to end. And that's good comfort for us, isn't it? We go to the cemetery and we bury the, a beloved believer, a beloved husband, a beloved wife. All our hearts mourn. We, we were going to weep. We're going to weep. But we're comforted. We're comforted in this. They're better off. I, th- I think about this my own self. And, and when someone I, I dearly love and knew the Lord dies, I'm, I don't know what order I think it, but it all comes, I guess, to, to mind all at one time. They're better off. I'm not. But they are. And that's just the way it is, isn't it? It's sorrow and comfort together. And when the time comes for the death of these bodies, we may know it's coming, we may not know it's coming. But at that moment, when the believer faces the death of our bodies, it's comfort. Isn't it? This is our comfort. We'll soon be better off will soon be better off. I've seen a number of folks die. I've seen a number of folks take their very last breath on this earth and die. It's not pretty. It's not pretty, is it? But when you watch a believer take that that last breath, their body is fighting for life. I'll tell you why their body's fighting for life. God made these bodies for living, not for dying. That's why this, their body's fighting for life. And when they take that last breath and the struggle's finally over, you know what you can say? They're better off now. I hope I'm able to remember that in my last breath. Boy, it's a struggle now, but boy, you take that last one, I'm going to be better off. And that's our comfort, isn't it? This gospel of Christ that we preach, that we believe, 
It's not just doctrine. It's not just points of doctrine that separate us from other folks. It's good enough to live by. It gives life. I mean, it gives life. It gives instruction. It, it, it's good enough to live by. And Gary's good enough to die by. If any message is not good enough to die by, it's not the gospel. Our gospel is good enough to live by and to die by. As far as I can tell, that's the message from the first funeral that's ever been recorded in Scripture. I hope God will bless that to you. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you for the precious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that there's life in him, life eternal. How we thank you for the, the life-giving power of your gospel. How we thank you for the comfort of your gospel that points us away from ourselves and points us to our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I beg of you that you cause each of us here this evening to be enabled by thy spirit to leave here looking to, trusting in, and resting in Christ our Savior. It's in his precious name, for his sake we pray. All right, Sean.